The definition that I use in the book and in my business is self-care is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. And I think that expands on your idea of self-care is survival. There is that listening within. So like, I don't have a problem of like going to the bathroom myself because that isn't my reality right now. So if I listen within, I'm not going to hear that desire, but that's a desire that you're hearing or that the people that you're working with are hearing. Welcome back to the Essentially You podcast. I am your host, Dr. Marisa Snyder, and I'm here to help you rock your hormones and feel great in your body so that you can reclaim more energy, vitality, and joy and become the CEO of your health. Let's jump on in. Hey, one more thing. Did you know that one of the biggest nutrient deficiencies that I see in people, especially women, is a magnesium deficiency? It's because we burn through the super mineral so quickly. Now, this powerful mineral packs a massive punch because magnesium is involved in over 600 reactions in the body. Now, it is your best friend if you need more energy, better sleep, a faster metabolism, improved digestion, and not to mention happier periods. And you can quickly replenish your magnesium levels with my essentially whole magnesium restore supplement made with my favorite form of magnesium, magnesium glycinate. Use promo code podcast and get 10% off your entire order at drmarisa.com slash magnesium. Now I'll have the link in the show notes for this episode to make it easy. Go and try it out today. Do you ever find yourself forgetting to take care of yourself? I have a feeling that the answer is yes. So when we stop prioritizing our self-care, aka taking care of ourselves, everything else kind of follows in suit, right? Our confidence is depleted, energy is zapped. You may be operating in a mental fog, especially in the evening where it's hard to care about anything or anyone. Truth be told, I've had some of those moments this year, even in the last month. Well, let me say, because I definitely need to hear this myself, it is never selfish to put yourself first. Honestly. If you don't put yourself first, who's going to do it, right? As the caretaker and the people holding the container for everyone else, we have got to put ourselves first in order to show up in the world the way that we want. Deep down, you and I both know it's true. I've learned this valuable truth the hard way after years of neglecting my health while running on fumes to people please. And honestly, I am learning it again as a mom. Very often, we have a built-in belief system that our worth is based on what we do for others. It's this belief that has skewed our minds and bodies into self-care sabotage, right? I mean, so I remember I have a coaching, a VIP coaching client right now who said, you know, I just kept focusing on everybody and everyone. And I thought it was going to come around back to me. She's like, but then like 10 years went by and it never did because it never does, right? You've got to be focused on your self-care. Now, By rewriting your belief system, you can begin to take care of yourself and therefore take care of the world in a bigger way. So today we're dismissing myths about self-care, stressing the importance of how you talk to yourself and how to listen to what your mind, body, and heart needs to feel joyful and happy. Today, I invited Taylor Elise Morrison to talk honestly about self-care and how to shift our beliefs so that we prioritize it to create a life that we love. Now, she has figured out how to make self-care practical, and that is literally what we're going to be digging into. Now, before we jump into this powerful conversation with Taylor, I just want to share what I've been doing every single day without fail, even if I only have five minutes. And there are definitely days where it feels like I only have five minutes. And that is I journal. 
Journaling grounds me like no other and it allows me to get very intentional. It also allows me to tap deep into gratitude, which I know spirals me up into joy. It's why I created and use my daily self-care journal. Now, if you're looking for a beautiful way to honor your body daily with some self-care and self-love, my daily self-care journal is the perfect way to make that happen. It's designed to fill out in literally 15 minutes each morning, or you can do it anytime you want, but the prompts intentionally guide you to set the tone for your day so that your day is happening by design and that your day is unfolding for you, right? I want everything to unfold for me. That is the intention. And so by writing it down, I'm always amazed at how, how that kind of magically happens. Now, if you've been looking for a tool that aligns you with living your best life, this is it. And did I mention it's designed to be quick, potent, and easy? Now, I'll have the link in the show notes to go and grab it. And consider, I know Mother's Day is around the corner, consider getting three of these at a big discount so that you can gift a couple to your best friends. I know that anytime I'm buying journals, especially these, although I just order these from my store, I love to gift them. I gift dozens of them every single year as like birthday gifts or bridal shower gifts or mama gifts, Valentine's Day gifts. And so this is just one of my favorite little things to just gift people because it is so potent and powerful. I get messages all the time about my daily self-care journal because women are like, oh my gosh, I feel so inspired. Like I know exactly where I'm going for the day. I know exactly what my intentions are for the day. I know exactly how to show up for myself today. And it just shifts everything. So again, I'll have the link in the show notes, but I'm so excited to dive into this amazing conversation with Taylor. I just first want to sing her praises. Taylor Elise Morrison is an author, facilitator, and coach making well-being and personal development more accessible to all of us. Recently named one of Fortune's 10 innovators shaping the future of health, Taylor is tired of aspirational wellness as usual. Through her company, Inner Workout, and her book of the same name, Inner Workout, we're gonna be talking about that today, Taylor supports people's journey to know, care for, and become their full selves. Let's welcome Taylor to the show. Welcome to the Essentially You podcast. Taylor, how are you doing today? I am doing really well. What about you? Wonderful. I'm doing great. I'm so excited for this conversation. Ooh, girl, it is so juicy. The conversation we're about to have about self-care and prioritizing the right kind of self-care. And I'm holding your book, Inner Workout. I love this. I love the title. I love everything. It feels so nice and so beautiful too. I know you're not supposed to judge a a book by its cover, but man, this cover is so, so lovely. And I just love how it feels. Kind of, I would love to ask, you know, Taylor, in your own journey and in your own health journey and your own journey in life, kind of what was that defining moment for you, my dear, that you know, you felt called to really address, although there's so many recommendations around self-care, there's so much stuff around this, you know, you know, taking care of ourselves, prioritizing ourselves, yet people are not fending any better than they were before this whole healthcare kicked off, maybe even like a decade ago. Yeah. It's so interesting because yeah, it's in the zeitgeist, everyone's talking about it, but like I mentioned in the book, it's like, Sure, we all can talk about the things we do for quote unquote self-care, but when you ask someone like, hey, but when's the last time you really felt cared for? That question is a lot harder for folks to answer. And I think for me, I just kept getting burned out. I just realized like I keep going through the cycle of doing all the things, trying to achieve and check all of the boxes. And then I get burned out. 
And then I maybe do the thing that at the time, especially when I was starting my journey, like the treat yourself version of self-care a la Parks and Rec was really popular where it's like, yeah, you buy something for yourself. It might be expensive. It might not. But like self-care is spending money on yourself, on these experiences or on these things that are supposed to make you feel better. And it might have made me feel better in the moment. But then I was going back into this really stressful life and structure of my life. And so I realized like, hey, this isn't working. And the more I started talking about it, I realized it wasn't just a me problem. Other people were saying, yeah, I'm kind of doing self-care stuff too, but it's not working for me either. And that's when I realized there was a larger shift that needed to happen. I feel that in my bones for sure. And, um, and yeah, I, one of the things that I was, I was looking over your book just a second ago, you know, talking about how, you know, there's a one size fits all for self-care by the way that we talking about it and that self-care for a mom of four is very different for self-care with someone without even a pet or maybe one, one low maintenance pet. You're right. It's not a one size fits all. I want you to speak into that because it is being packaged. I mean, I know that I've talked a lot about it here on the show. I mean, I've talked about it in my books. But man, it, it majorly shifted for me, even when I became a mom, like it just the stakes are off. I was just telling somebody on a phone, a friend of mine who doesn't have children. And I was like, listen, nighttime routine, like two hours of my night is just getting my toddler to bed. That is, that is come. It doesn't matter. Seven days a week, come rain or shine. That is what I do every night, <laughs> whether I want to do it or not. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just my reality. Yeah. Which is so different from like what you mentioned in the book is when I was referencing the four kids, it's like, cause my sister has four kids and I see like the things that I'm able to do versus the things that she's able to do. And it would be so like presumptuous for me to say to you or to say to my sister, like you need to do self-care exactly the way that I do it, because then I'm not acknowledging like your context and your reality. Mm -hmm. How do we look at it in from that spectrum? Is there a way that we should approach it that really fits us? I know when I educate with women, you know, sometimes women tell me like, I'm just trying to go to the bathroom by myself. Girl, I'm trying to go to the bathroom by myself. It is so rare. <laughs> My son loves to follow me into the bathroom. And so it is a very different ballgame. I never imagined I'd want and desire to go to the bathroom by myself until it was a situation where huh, I was like, this is, this is challenging. And so, yeah, I've always thought of self-care as a means to survival. That's kind of always how I imagined it. Because I've always just felt like for many of my years, I was just surviving. And so I'd love to up-level it a little bit, but that's always how I kind of approach the perspective for women is like, what do you need to survive? Yeah, I think to build on that, the definition that I use in the book and in my business is self-care is listening within and responding in the most loving way possible. And I think that expands on your idea of self-care as survival. There is that listening within. So like, I don't have a problem of like going to the bathroom myself because that isn't my reality right now. So if I listen within, I'm not going to hear that desire, but that's a desire that you're hearing or that the people that you're working with are hearing. And then that responding in the most loving way possible. It's very easy for us to respond out of obligation, for us to respond out of that person that we follow on Instagram. They're able to do that. And it looks like their situation is the same as me. So I'm going to force myself to re respond the way that they're responding. And then the final piece is most loving way possible. We have different levels of resource. We have different levels of energy. 
And so on one day, the what you're able to give yourself, I use the example of like a movement practice. Some days I only have energy to do a little gentle stretching and that's all I've got. Today I had more energy. So I was doing like a full weight workout thing and neither of those are better. In both instances, I'm responding in the most loving way possible. Hmm. Can you talk to me about, and I love, gosh, that's the caveat right there. Like that's the hot ticket is in the most loving way possible. Hmm. That just shifts so much, at least for me. And um, because I do have, I have these ideas of like, okay, I got to do these things to make sure I'm surviving. But I would love for you to speak into, you know, is there a time for us to be checking in or should it just be something that we're doing throughout the day when it comes to finding, you know, what we're needing in the most loving way possible? Yeah, I really like to think about the big shift that happened for me was moving from self-care, being this to-do list. And oftentimes it's like this parallel to-do list to your to-do list of what you have to do at work or what you have to do to be a parent or what you have to do to be in the relationships that are important to you. And then I'm also supposed to do all these self-care things, which if we're being honest with ourselves, it ends up being like this thing at the bottom underneath all these other things we feel like we're supposed to do. And what I've shifted into for myself and what I try to help other people shift into is that self-care is a conversation that we're having with ourselves we're listening, we're responding. And think about the way that you talk with your friends, especially like your friends that you've known for a long time, where like you might just kind of be in like an ongoing text conversation with them. Like you send something that's funny, they giggle, they get a little busy for a little bit, they come back with something. You're not making the rules that I need to text my friend at this exact time every day for us to be in a relationship. It's an organic conversation. That's what we want our self-care to be too. And I I love the organic conversation of just kind of like checking in and seeing what's going on in helping a lot of people. And uh, is it both men and women that you find yourself serving or is it mostly women that you find yourself serving or, or, or it just all different types of demographics? I don't know. I'm just curious. Yeah. I would say that for my one-on-one work, it is primarily women for People who might show up in workshops or things, also primarily women, but men get sprinkled in there. It's so funny because I don't think the concepts are not gendered, but it's interesting to notice who feels like they are in need of care. And that tends to be women. Yeah. Yeah. I was just curious just because it's my audience, you know, I was just curious in terms of who you found yourself you know, end up speaking to, or who was really kind of consuming. Did you, have you found when you've been working with the people that you've been working with, even primarily women, that there is a time for them that feels more organic in order to kind of fit in their needs and their kind of that authentic self-care coming into like a loving place? Um, Has there been like, I know people are always wondering like, well, huh, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to do this for myself. And um, sometimes a framework can be kind of helpful. Yeah. So there are different ways that that you can think about this. I think what is most important is that you are noticing when it feels like you have energy and you have opportunity. So for me, that tends to be mornings. I'm very much a morning person. I 
do my best work in the morning. I also am just like the most present with myself in the morning. But I have friends who are like such night owls and they're like, if I do my self-care practices, if I'm trying to hear from myself in the morning, it's just going to be a jumbled mess. It's a lot better for me in the afternoon or the evening. So your first step, if you're not sure where to fit this in, might just be to kind of track your energy and notice when do I tend to feel like I've got that breath of fresh air. And then the other piece that I mentioned is the opportunity. Like if you're a mom who has a baby, it might be during nap time, or it might be when your partner is coming in and taking over and then you've got some time to yourself. If your kids are in school, maybe it's at a certain point in the school day. It's like, I I do some stuff at home and then I have time for this. So it's finding those pockets for yourself. I also think for something that I'll talk about is like for people who work from home, what are ways that you can kind of give yourself pockets before you transition into working, even though you're working in the same place to perhaps check in with yourself or sometimes even better is as you're closing down your day. So you feel like there is an end to your workday. And even if you go back on your laptop to watch Netflix or something, there's been that delineation. Here's something I know every woman can agree on. Stubborn belly fat can feel like the worst, especially when you've tried everything to lose it. Not to mention belly fat can be dangerous for us too. According to a brand new study, women over 40 who have excessive belly fat are up to 20% more likely to suffer a heart attack. And no surprise, hormones are involved in belly fat production, which is actually good news because we can optimize your hormones and metabolism for a flatter stomach. And that's exactly what I'm offering to you as a free gift today. My Belly Slim Down Guide gives you three effective strategies to get rid of belly fat, along with recipes to reduce bloating, balance your blood sugar, and speed up your metabolic furnace to optimize fat burning. So grab the Belly Slim Down Guide with my proven protocols and recommendations and recipes now at drmarisa.com slash slimdown. That's drmarisa.com slash slimdown, and the link will be in the show notes. I love that. You're right. It's, gosh, getting where you fit in, right? Kind of check in with your body and then check in with when's the opportunity. I hear that. I love it. Then the the two myths that I was reading about that I love that you were dispelling inside of your book were that self-care doesn't need to be expensive and it doesn't need to take up a lot of time. Those are are things that I think a lot of people hear when they think about self-care is just like, I don't have 30 minutes to meditate. I don't have bubble bath time. You know, I don't, you know, I don't have resources to go and get a pedicure or or go, you know, shopping with my friends or whatever that may be, or go get some expensive matcha latte at the cafe down the street. Like mm -mm, that doesn't work. So I'd love for you to speak into, because this is what really fires me up is like, we can get in where we fit in. We can make this happen for ourselves in a way that's loving. I I love that piece. So, you know, how do we think of self-care in a different light? If, if our mindset goes to like, I don't have the time for it or I just don't have the expense for it either. Yeah. I'm like, which one do we start? Because I'm like you, both of these get, get me fired up. So let's start with the expensive thing. It's so interesting for me because yes, I do run a company that supports people in building self-care practices. And I also wouldn't say I spend all of that much 
money on like specific self-care products. So many of the things that I do are free or low cost. And I have to remind myself that that's not the perspective that a lot of people are bringing. People, if you do a Google search or you scroll through Instagram on self-care, there's so many ads. You're supposed to buy this gua sha thing or you're supposed to do this practice that like requires a very specific match or very specific equipment. And whenever I'm saying these things, I'm not shaming anyone. Do I have a gua sha? Yes, I do. Is that the main way that I think about self-care? No. So the challenge that I like to offer people is to get really specific about like what makes you feel cared for and then to play around with it. How can I get to that feeling? Spending no money, spending $5. If you want to get crazy, if I was spending $500, how would I get there? But it's really interesting to see that you can get to that feeling and that place of being cared for without spending a lot of money. And society wants you to spend money on your self-care and wants you to think that the only way you can feel cared for is to spend money. So it's a little bit countercultural. It takes some deconditioning. And the goal is not that you're spending $0 on yourself, but the goal is that you're seeing that there's opportunities for you to care for yourself without having to break the bank. So those are my thoughts on the expensive side of things. What do you want to add to that before I go to the other one? I was going to say, I just 100% agree with you. I would say where the juice is worth the squeeze for me in terms of self-care and honoring my body in a way that feels loving, they're free. It is going to bed earlier, big, big one. And it is walking outside in nature, outside of my house. Those are it. Those are the big ones for me two of the big ones. And so those are both free as far as I'm concerned. So I I am excited to get into, and one, obviously one takes a little bit more time, the walking outside. It's such a yummy experience to be outside by myself. Oh my goodness. Without toting a toddler or or even a, a partner with me, I'm just like, everybody leave me alone. But then going to sleep early, you know, FOMO, you're missing out on something, maybe a conversation or a TV show. But like, to me, you know, waking up feeling resourced is, is the best thing in the world. It's the one, one of the best ways I can love myself. And so I feel like these don't take it too much, too much time either, but I would love for you to speak into the time piece too. Cause I think it's the big one that gets in people's way. I definitely, for me, it was my biggest obstacle to self-care when I was growing up. One, I felt like it was self-indulgent Two, I felt like I didn't have time for that because I had obligations and things to actually do in my life. That's kind of this negative mindset I had around it. And three, it just felt like, you know, like maybe I just felt like I just didn't deserve it, you know? That is so relatable. And when I think about the people that I work with or the people that I'm kind of speaking to in my work, I classify them in two ways. One is tends to be the strong friend, the person who's like there for everyone else, supporting everyone else, believes that everyone else is worthy of rest, but struggles to internalize that for themselves. The other is this self-aware overachiever who is a person who like loves listening to all of the self-help podcasts, reads the books, probably could write their own self-help book, is always like trying to achieve more and more and more, but is sometimes struggling to either apply what they've learned or to realize like I'm more than just what I'm doing and what I'm achieving. And the reason why I mentioned those folks, the strong friends and the self-aware overachievers, is because 
time gets in the way of both of them in different ways. For the strong friend, it tends to be like, oh, I don't want to spend time on myself. There are all these other people in my life who need support. It's better if I'm pouring into them. And I am constantly, and this is not an, an original thought, reminding people that we cannot care for others sustainably if we're not also caring for ourselves. Like you can pour a lot into other people for a short term, but after a certain place, you're not going to have anything left to give. And so if your goal is really to be a source of support for the long term, for the people that you care about, one of the best strategies that you can do is invest some time for yourself. And we'll talk about in a second how it doesn't have to be a lot of time. For the self-aware overachievers, these are the people who tend to be like, it needs to be 30 minutes. It needs to be an hour. It needs to be a 12-mile run because they want to hit those milestones to make themselves feel like they're doing enough, that they're good, that they're doing self-care the right way. When we decouple practicing self-care from having the most amount of time and can work through some of our guilt of spending any time for ourselves, what we realize is that any loving response is better than not doing something for ourselves. Because what can happen is we can say, well, I only have five minutes to meditate, but I'm supposed to meditate for 30 minutes. So I'm just not going to meditate. It's not worth it. And it's like, well, actually those five minutes of presence with yourself is really valuable. Yes, it's valuable for what it does for your brain. It's valuable for what it does for your nervous system. And so I'm always inviting people to start where you are with what you have. If you have a minute, one of my favorite exercises to do is a one-minute meditation. You spend the first 20 seconds working on your posture. You spend the second 20 seconds being aware of your breath. And you spend the third 20 seconds being aware of your body, doing a quick body scan. That takes a minute. And when I take a minute to do that, you can do it anywhere. All of a sudden, the level of presence and awareness I have can completely shift my experience. And I didn't need to take 30 minutes to do that. There's a lot of kind of like hustle culture and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps mentality that is paired in self-care is about more minutes, more time, more achievements that can be harmful for our personal growth. I agree with you there. Very harmful. I love the one minute, you know, body scan, breath, alignment, that could absolutely shift your energy. Such a beautiful way. And I would love, what are some others? I would love for you to share a couple other ways that we can really honor our body from a place of loving ourselves in a very short amount of time. Are there some other practices that you share in the book? I know you've got a lot of things in here, but also And I get that everyone's (laughs) tailor-made. So I get that if you're sharing these, it may not work for everybody, but it's still so fun to have some examples. Like that one is so potent and powerful. And girl, it is is a luxury for me to get 30 minutes to meditate. Now, five minutes, I can get that. I can get down with that personally in my life and I'll take it. I'll take it any day of the week, you know? But even a one-minute scan and just check in just feels so doable. Yeah, and that's the point. Like I sometimes feel like the wellness industry, the way we talk about self-care can create these goalposts that you feel like you have to change who you are instead of reaching in order to reach that point. And I would so much rather meet you where you're at and say like, you have a minute, let's do something for a minute. 
or for me, like a lot of times I do shorter meditations because I have ADHD. And so five minutes of like coming back to my breath and my awareness takes a lot of focus. And I have moments where I, I build it up to a longer practice, but for now, five minutes is where I'm at. And that's instead of like being mad at my brain for working differently, I'm really grateful that this is where I'm at. So in terms of practices, one of the practices that I have in the book that is so simple, and hopefully everyone already is doing this, washing your hands, very important for keeping ourselves healthy. And I have a practice for like embodied hand washing. How often are we just washing our hands and we're like in such a rush to get it done, but taking that time to be with your hands, be putting the soap on your hands, feeling the water on there, all of a sudden you are in your body in a way that you might not be throughout the rest of your day. So that's a practice that I love to offer up to people. Another simple one, this isn't in the book, is bell listening. And there's all kinds of things where you can hear someone like ringing a bell. I love the Insight Timer app. They have a bell as well. And what you do is you just, if I actually have one off to the side, you, you have a chime or you have an app that will play a chime and you just try and listen until you can't hear it anymore. And it's just this moment of focus where you're like, okay, my only focus is the bell and it slowly fades away. And it's wild how long you can start to hear the remnants of that bell. And all of a sudden, you're a little bit more focused. You're a little bit more present. And that takes that tends to take less than a minute unless you're doing something that has repeated bells and it takes a while. I could keep going, but what do you think? Yeah, keep going. I mean, I love these because these are also like getting into your body and mindfulness, which are so, so powerful for bringing clarity and energy to the system. Because I'm always thinking like, drink water <laughs> or, you know, things like that, that, that are more, they're not as sexy, definitely a little bit less sexy and more practical. But like, that's a big self-care piece for me is every morning before coffee, I drink a big, I hear my Stanley cup is right here. I drink this one size of water. And that's my little commitment to myself. And I can do that. Like I can do that. I can drink that, you know, but I love the mindfulness piece. Because I think a lot of women, yeah, they're drinking the water, like myself, but then they're they're and headed in so many different directions, you know. At this, and there's the mind. There's no. I'm not being mindful. I'm not mindfully chugging that water. I'm chugging that water, looking at my dishwasher. You know, what I'm saying I'm chugging that water, thinking when's my son gonna get down here, and I need to have breakfast ready for him. Like these are the things that are happening. I'm not like taking a moment to really embrace this water drinking experience. I'm like, okay, boom, 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 boom. Okay, what's the next thing I need to do? <laughs> But I drank the water, girl, you know, um, I drank the water. And it's funny that you say that because I was just leading a workshop with principals, school principals who like, there's always someone who's coming to their office. There's always some other thing that they need to be doing. And one of the practices that I did recommend for them was like a mindful consumption. And many of us are familiar with like a mindful eating practice. And you think like, okay, I eat my whole meal mindfully. I like to encourage people like, can you just take the first few bites mindfully? Like the first sip of your coffee or the first three sips of your coffee after you've chugged your water, can you just like really notice the flavor, the taste of it? Can you notice it going all the way down your throat? And it doesn't have to be that you drink the whole thing like that. It might just be one sip, but all of these practices, and I'm focusing right now a lot on bringing you back into your body because what I find is that once you're back in your body, all of the sudden, 
you have more awareness on the other aspects of you as well. But when we live too much in our head and we're so disconnected from our body, it's like there's this fracture. And when I can reconnect them, all of a sudden I realize, oh, I'm really tired or I'm really sad or other things start to bubble up once I start to re refuse that connection, I guess. Oh, that's so, so powerful. And I think, you know, so many of us, like I just resonate on so many levels with that because it's so easy for us to turn, turn it off so we can get it all done. And like, I love that the awareness is a moment of, it kind of triggers up listening. I'm trying to find a better word than trigger because I wasn't looking to use that word, but it just, it opens the door. How about that? Towards, oh, really? Huh? What's going on here? I know part of me had a little bit of resistance of like, I just don't want to know if I'm tired and burned out. Like, (laughs) what does that mean I got to do next? You know, and this is a woman who's a recovering, I'm a recovering stressaholic. And so, but I love that it opens the door towards really tuning into what your body's needing in a loving way. And then taking cues from that to maybe support yourself in other ways as well. And what you said was so relatable, which is that like a lot of us don't want to do these practices because we don't want to know. Like I've been there where I'm like, uh, I bet there's some stuff there if I went underneath the surface, but I'm just going to like plug my ears, close my eyes, like ignore it. But the reality is it's still going to be there. And it's like, am I going to deal with this now? Or am I going to wait till it bubbles up? And that's the conversation and the negotiation that I have to have with myself is like, I can't ignore this. But after a while, my body's going to stop whispering and it's going to start getting really, really loud. And it tends to be a lot more uncomfortable when my body's yelling at me. So I'd rather talk to it when it's at a whisper. I love that. Oh, that is such a massive... There's, I mean, there's so many wonderful just nuggets. I'm walking away from this, but that is one of the most powerful things here is like, listen to your body at the whisper versus when your body is Mack trucked, you know, you're just, then you're just like, you, you have no choice, but to listen and giving us an avenue in how to listen to those whispers. Cause so often we, we, we just, we have a really slick way of ignoring those because it's so easy to do so. So I love that a lot. We're also kind of taught to do that and kind of conditioned to ignore ourselves. Like I was just talking about this with someone earlier today, how often we're like, okay, I'll just do one more email and then I'll go to the bathroom or I'll just like, I'm hungry, but I'm going to do this one more thing. And oftentimes that's kind of rewarded. And I say this as someone whose husband was like, am I going to have to watch all the time to make sure you don't forget to eat? Like this is stuff that happens to me too. I read that he's good about checking on with you with your nap time, uh, that you're not working on your phone. Yeah. And unfortunately, I've not been able to take many naps recently during the day. But yeah, I definitely will be like, I'm tired. I need a nap. And then when if he happens to be working home the same day, he'll be like, oh, you were taking a nap. Why are you answering email right now? I've, yes. Yes. I feel that. And it's so sweet. I love that you guys have that kind of relationship of like, gentle accountability, loving accountability, you know, you know, when you are wanting to nurture and honor yourself in a really loving way that you have someone is like, hey, you know, that you were heading to bed, you know, at this time, you know, just checking in. I love that. I wanted to just pivot our combo just a little bit and talk about community care and how important that is and really defining what community care is and how that becomes a part of the conversation around our self-care. 
Well, I think the example with my husband is such a good example of community care. Like, so community care, I would say, is not all that different in definition than self-care. Instead of just listening within, we're listening to the people that we're in relationship with and we're finding that loving response. It obviously gets more complicated because I'm having to balance my needs in a relationship, your needs in the relationship, what I have the capacity to give, what you need to receive. There is a lot of intentionality that comes into community care. And what I find sometimes is that we expect every time we're experiencing community care, it should be one-to-one. It should be even Steven, like I'm giving you 50%, you're giving me 50%. But if we think about like the fullness of what we need, maybe I'm getting some of what I need from elsewhere. And so I don't need you to give quite as much, but I have a little bit more to give. It tends to be more fluid, more of a negotiation, but the name of the game is one, communication of what you need. And then two, a willingness to receive what you need. I find that, again, going back to this archetype of the strong friend, people, especially people who listen to podcasts like this, tend to be the people who are so willing to give, this is myself included, I'm calling myself out, and not as willing to receive. And what happens when we do that is we create this dynamic where we're not actually experiencing community care. And the people, we might be doing something kind for them, but they might not even be feeling fully cared for. They might be feeling patronized or they might be feeling like this person thinks that they're better than me. So having that exchange is really vital, not just for our own well-being, but for the overall experience of community care. Hmm. So there's, there's some nuance here in the community care. Do you feel like we get better community care from our friends than we would maybe our partners because it gets a little bit more complicated? I feel like I, I was just curious. <laughs> For me personally, I don't think so. I think that I, I'm really fortunate and that I have like a lot of deep relationships in different areas of my life. So my friends certainly give me some different things than my husband does, but I feel an experience of care of them. I think what it comes down to, and honestly, for a while, I didn't really fully feel like I was experiencing community care from some of my friendships because I wasn't willing to show up vulnerably. I wasn't willing to show up and say, here's what I need. Here's when I'm struggling. I felt like I needed to look perfect all of the time in a way that I was willing to be really vulnerable and open with my husband. So I think the answer is it depends. And a lot of it has to do with, again, our tendency is to point our finger and say, they're the problem, but we have to turn it back on ourselves and say, what am I bringing or not bringing to this relationship? And how is that affecting the experience of community care? Mm. I, okay. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense as well. I just was curious in terms of what, if there were trends or things that you saw, you know, and I think community care you know, even based on the definition that you're giving, it's, it feels so, so important, but, and there's a navigation of that relationship as well as a part of it too. So, you know, there's a lot to, lot to grow and build from there. Um, and then this is probably my favorite question that I want to ask today for you. And how does someone practice self-care when they are responsible for caring for so many other people? I will say that this last month, my sister had a stroke. She was 41 years old. 
she's 41 years old. She's two years younger than me. And um, since that time last, last month, I would say almost a month ago, it's just felt like I feel like I hadn't recovered. We had people staying over, family staying over, you know, taking over my son's room. So my son was sleeping with us full time, sleeping with me full time. Um, I don't know what it was. Like it was that level of really stepping up to advocate remotely for my sister for over a week. And then like family people of staying over. Like I just, I feel like I'm barely, I'm finally catching up. Like I just, it kind of, I just went downhill very quickly a month. And as a hormone doctor and a woman who knows all these things, uh, it just kind of felt like it was a perfect storm. And it was that I was just caring for all these people all at the same time and people that I love and I love to spend time with. But man, I'm on the other side of it. Like I've got to take a minute to recover because it just, it just got out of hand way faster than I thought it was going to be. And so, and I'll be honest with you, I, I was drinking my water. I was checking a lot of my boxes of what I considered self-care, but was really holding the container for so many more people than I normally do. And so I'm feeling, I'm like on the other side of this where I'm like, I'm feeling this and I'm in it. And it hasn't been, it's been a little while since I've felt like this. And so I can, I know that there are so many women who are always feeling like this or feeling kind of like this more often than not. And so, yeah, I would love, I know I feel like we've addressed this already a little bit in that lovingly way of taking care of ourselves, but girl, it feels like I am literally just coming out of survival right now, you know? So I'm really excited for this conversation today because I feel like I was checking the boxes, you know, and, but things just kind of got out of hand, you know, when like a higher level of caretaking had to come into play. Yeah. First of all, I'm like, I wish I could just, I'm, I'm sending you a hug through this screen because that is a lot to carry. And I'm also sending a hug to anyone who heard that. and was like, yeah, that's my everyday life. That is a lot to handle. And we know that like, women tend to be the people who carry more of those burdens on a regular basis. We're often caretaking for kids and parents. And even in workplaces, we could be called on to take on these extra responsibilities, these more mom-like roles in the workplace. And it starts to be a really heavy burden. The place that I always like to start is just a reminder that yes, it is heavy. You are not supposed to be carrying this all of the time. That is a burden. And I think the tendency in these conversations can be to like skip over that. Like, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Here's all these things that we do so that you can handle this all the time. And I just want to be like, no, that's not a normal capacity to have to carry all of the time. So that's the first thing that I would say. The second piece that I would offer is noticing when there is opportunity where you can receive support and where you can call in support. Because again, if you're feeling like you're that strong friend where you have to help everyone else, but no one can help you, there could be things that you're holding on to, but someone would be more than willing to carry. They just don't know that you need someone to hand it off to. And that can be really hard. It's it's scary to be like, hey, I can't do this all on my own. So community care is the first place my mind went in that place. The final thing that I will share is this concept of like proactive and reactive or responsive self-care. So if you notice that there are these ebbs and flows, and it sounds like for you, this was like a crescendo where all of these things came together at once. You have these 
practices that you already do. You drink your water in the morning. They're proactive. They're the things that you do that kind of get you to a certain baseline, get you to a certain place of well-being. And deciding on those things, making those things habits before something goes off kilter is really important. The next thing that I will offer is when things go off kilter, you want to have a self-care toolkit. So I've got practices in my back pocket that I know are supportive for me when I get a piece of feedback that I wasn't expecting, when I am stressed out because I have a big deadline to meet. And those are the things that I don't have to think about it when my emotions are high. It's almost like a break in place of emergency. And I'm like, ooh, I've got my weighted blanket. Ooh, I've got this thing over here. Ooh, I have this person that I can call and set up a session with. And planning those things out before you feel like you need them can be helpful. If you're like, I need them now and I can't do it, that's when community care can come in and you're, you can talk to a friend and be like, I'm really overwhelmed. I've done this with a friend before. Sit down with them. What is everything on your plate? What can go off of your plate? What can someone else do? And like, I've walked friends through that process before because they didn't feel like they had the capacity to do it. And if they were being honest, they felt like everything had to stay on their plate. So they needed the third party to be like, "Uh uh-uh, this can go, this can wait. I can do this for you. And it was really helpful for them. Hmm. Oh, thank you for walking us through that in such an eloquent and, and really easy way. And I love the idea of having like, when when crap hits the fan, like self-care toolkit, like this is what I do when everything's kind of happening and like something extremely stressful has happened or I'm taking on too much. Like these are the tools that I can pull from. I, I never thought of having like a, you know, break in case of emergency self-care toolkit to pull from. I just, that's just genius. It's genius. And that, that it can become so automatic. Yeah. And I have clients who have like written it down or they put it in their like project management software that they use. I have one client who literally calls it breaking place of emergency and she's stressed out. She goes there and she just reads through the list and picks something. I love it. No, I, I would name it that too. I would absolutely name it that. And I just love that idea. Yeah. Cause you know, it's, it's, you know, I know a lot of us are doing whatever the required, I would took my supplements every day. I was eating super healthy. I was trying to take my walks. You know, they were all the, like, I knew the things I needed like to get me, but man, it just was interesting. Like I was like staying afloat, but then slowly, not slowly kind of starting to go down towards like into the water. Even, you know, those, some of my baseline practices, they stretched me a bit. They got me through a couple of weeks, but man, they weren't getting me through the next couple of weeks. You know, it started to really wear past what, what my normal toolbox was allowing for. And I was like, man, I don't, these, these normal tools, they're not cutting it right now. They would have gotten me through half a month, but they're definitely not getting me through a whole month. And so I love that idea of, of having the, you know, break the glass in case of emergency, but also, you know, and I know this is where a lot of us struggle. I, at least I'll speak for myself is that I wasn't asking for any help. I was just trying to keep it all together. And, and I remember when my husband finally was like, it's visible, like you're falling apart. Like, let me help you. And I remember I was a little bit like, I was in my stuff and I was like, are you really going to be able to help me in this? Like, I just remember, I just, I didn't even receive it well. And it was an old patterning that I found myself, found myself into. Like I was that deep 
And, um, but then my husband took my son for the evening or the afternoon. And I got like this extra three hours, which is just a dream. Like never, like, again, it never happens. Like, I'm like, I'm the always the one who takes the baby for the three hours. And, um, it, it was that moment that he took my son for three hours that things started to shift for me. Like I was able to get out of my stuff. So I, my, I had stuff around it too, you know? So I just love, I love these tools that you walked us through, but most importantly, like have a real gut check moment. Like, are you even asking for community care? Yeah, that is the biggest thing that I find. And, and I have this matrix that I talk about in the book, the desire matrix. And I find that a lot of us have needs that are not met and they're not met because we don't express them. Sometimes we don't even express it to ourselves. Like, I need three hours to myself, let alone express it to someone else who could help us get that. And a lot of it is patterning, patterning around, I should be able to handle this. These other moms can handle this. These other business owners can handle this. Something's wrong with me if I can't handle it. So I'm just going to pretend I don't notice it and try and keep muscling through it. Yes. Yes. 100%. Yes. Ooh, this has been such a powerful conversation and, and gosh, I'm just so grateful to you for, you know, your brilliance and your gifting of this gorgeous and beautiful book into the world. Like, thank you. Where, I mean, I'm going to have the link to the books. I know it's available right now. Obviously I have a copy. I'm looking at it right here. So I'm going to link to directly to the book, but is there anywhere else, Taylor, that you would love for us to go and find you, to go learn more about you. Obviously, is there somewhere specific you want us to go and get the book besides like somewhere like Amazon or Barnes and Noble? Yeah. So I would say the best place for you to go is innerworkout.co, not.com. There's a link right there to purchase the book and it talks more about the book. There's also a link to our free self-care assessment, which like if you're at a place where you're like, I don't have extra money to spend on a book. This is something free that you can do. It measures your well-being across five dimensions and it gives you three practices that you can try based on your results. Um, There's also a link to our self-care Sunday newsletter, which people love. It has like a super, super high open rate because we try to make it valuable for you. And then in terms of where you can stay connected, I'm somewhat on Instagram at Taylor Elise Morrison, Elise with a Y. Inner Workout is somewhat on Instagram at Inner Workout. But that's one of the things that I've been doing for my self-care lately is like not putting a ton of pressure for me to show up on Instagram all of the time. I do it when I feel like I have capacity and when it feels fun. I love that. I love it. You're, you're working the principles in real time. Thank you so much. I'll have all of those, all those resources right into the show notes, um, exactly where to get the book. I love that you have the assessment. So, so cool. So it can just, you can get right to it. Anyone listening right now, you literally get right to it. You go to the website, click the link in the show notes, go there, do the assessment and get, get some, just get some resources right out the gate. But I highly, highly recommend you please go and get the book. Not only is it gorgeous, but man, it is, it's what we all need. So I just want to say thank you for coming on and sharing your brilliance with us. Whoa. Taylor is a force of nature. And what I love most about her is her realness. Like she gets it. She has created a life that she loves by committing to self-care. And she inspires so many people, especially women, to be better to themselves through simple, practical rituals. It's what we all need. So how about you? Are you ready to tackle some of those beliefs around self-care? Are you ready to up-level your self-care and taking care of yourself? I know I am. Like I had a major realization 
where my stuff was coming back up for review. I was beginning to feel burned out. I was beginning to realize I was doing the most and that I needed to step back and really tend to myself again. You know, it's one of those lessons that I know I'm going to learn over and over and over and over again. But I know that over time, it's going to happen faster for me. But I, you know, the groove of me showing up for people and taking care of people and prioritizing other people is such a deep groove in my neuro connections, my neuroplasticity, that man, it is one that I'm always working on. I don't know if that resonates with you too, but any, any resource, any skill that I can gain to really ensure that I am taking care of myself, because here's the thing, I know I'm going to show up for everybody else. I know I'm going to be the super mom. I know I'm going to be the super partner, you know? And so, you know, where's the room left for me? So I love these conversations with amazing women like Taylor, because it's just a beautiful reminder of like, oh man, I need to get back to doing the basics, to doing the things that really move the needle for me so that I don't feel so burned out. I don't feel so under-resourced. It's often the word I use here in the house. I'll tell my husband, I'm like, I'm feeling really under-resourced. I need to take a minute. Like, And you may have to ask for it. I often have to ask for it because you know everyone's focused on themselves, um, except for us. <laughs> At least that has been the, the experience that I've seen. My hallucination is that often women are putting themselves on the back burner. And I know that that is very much the case for myself. And so these reminders are so critical. So I highly recommend if you're looking for a reminder and you're looking to really step into your brilliance and take care of yourself in a way that feels really good and in alignment with what kind of time you've got, go and get Taylor's beautiful book called Inner Workout. I love it. It is a beautiful book. It is so practical. It is so wonderfully designed and wonderfully curated, I know that you're going to love the experience as much as I do. So I'm going to have the link in the show notes for the episode. I'm also going to have a link for my daily self-care journal, my five-minute journal in the show notes as well, in case you want to go and check that out too. Again, if there was anything in here that really resonated with you today, be sure to subscribe to the show and take a moment to rate the show so that more women are finding it so that they can step into becoming the CEO of their health. Until the next episode, have an amazing day. 